are we facing a double epidemic of COVID-19 and the flu? We'll talk about that and the importance of the flu vaccine. Plus, we have information to share with you on how plans for distributing the COVID vaccine are coming together for Missouri and Kansas. The situation that we find ourselves facing right now. The plague hit us, so I'm not happy about that. Okay. If you're sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it. We all risk getting it and spreading it to others. Positive, neutral, immune response. Coronavirus. For monoclonal antibody cocktail, we see the etiology. We want to end this outbreak. We've got to realize that we are part of the process. Welcome to Staying Well Informed. I'm Darren D'Agostino, Executive Dean and Vice Provost for Health Affairs at Kansas City University. And I'm joined by our media expert, Elizabeth Alex. Elizabeth has spent many years as a journalist, and we're very lucky to have her on our communication staff at Kansas City University. Thank you for being here, Elizabeth. Well, it's great to be here. And obviously, we're happy to have you taking the time to talk to us about some of these critical health topics that are so important today to the people in our community. Um, we do have a few questions I wanted to bring up and talk about. You mentioned it there at the top of the podcast. Um, and we, as we've discussed, everybody who's following even a little bit of medical news knows that there is a lot of fear and misinformation out there. And one of those fears we're hearing is that of a, quote, twindemic combination of the coronavirus epidemic we're trying to get through mixed with the flu. How likely is that scenario? Well, thanks. That's that's a great question. And, you know, quite frankly, right now, there's a lot going on uh, around the world that is contributing to the current pandemic. Uh, but just imagine another virus that hits us that actually contributes to the challenges of respiratory illness that we're already seeing with the pandemic. So this term, twindemic, was first introduced actually in the New York Times in an article published just recently in uh, August uh, 16th. Uh, prior to that, we didn't really use it, but we're moving into a world right now where we have to worry about the new cold and flu season because as a baseline, we still have COVID-19 out there. So uh, how likely is it a scenario? Well, it's a scenario we have to watch for, and likely there is going to be some difference uh, probably a little bit worse than what we normally would see with flu because we have to worry about these two concurrent upper respiratory tract infections. All right. Well, I know that you are a big promote, proponent of the flu vaccine. I know working at KCU, uh, it's been kind of interesting in years past. We've had faculty members who are physicians stop by our desks and give you the shot right, <laughs> right there when you're at your computer. Um, but, you know, I personally know a lot of people who don't even bother to get it. They say it's not 100% effective, and oftentimes the strain we're being vaccinated for isn't the one that's most prevalent. So during your days as an internal medicine physician, I'm, I'm kind of guessing you probably heard that a time or two as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, among uh, professionals, among um, uh, you know, lay people, it, it really doesn't matter. Everybody has, has uh, a differing opinion about vaccinations. You know, and immunizations have really changed the way uh, we have been able to survive on this planet. It's very important to understand that there are diseases out there that are still very prevalent, but because we have vaccinations, we're able to survive them. Um, the flu comes by every year. 
and we watch the way it flows out of the southern hemisphere um, countries and how it moves into the United States. We predict the strains that are going to be in that year's flu. And sometimes we don't get it 100% right. But even if we don't get it right, what we are doing is still giving enough immunity for us to fight it. And those people that do get the flu don't necessarily get sick enough to be in an ICU or even die. So there is a protective factor, even if we don't get it 100% right. Now, what's important about this is that, especially with COVID-19, is let's go ahead and eliminate one of those things that could be causing a problem should you get COVID. It is possible to get both of these illnesses at the same time, so why not protect yourself? I think it's going to be super critical this year that people get the vaccine for flu and that they do it sometime in October, and that'll help protect for the entire season. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about when you should get it um, and how early you should get your kids vaccinated, but you're saying October is the time to do it. Yeah, generally, we want to do this uh, probably about mid-September through October. And what that will do is allow your immune system to ramp up and then maintain its protective immunity throughout the entire flu season. And again, what most people don't realize is there is a double peak to this season. So we always want to get that immunity in there before the holidays in December. And we want as much immunity maintaining your um, uh, protection throughout February and March. And we usually start to see it drop off April and May. Um, if you don't get your vaccine in October, that's okay. Get it as soon as you can. You can always get it through the entire season. And if you do want to get it a little bit earlier, I actually recommend not doing it before mid-September. You can get it a little bit earlier than that, but generally you want to get it mid-September through October. Okay. Um, and, and it's worth repeating, I think, that people die of the flu. They really do. Yeah. This is, uh, this is an important point. And when we talk about that term twindemic, um, you know, most people don't realize, but the CDC actually estimates a yearly death rate for flu between 12,000 and 61,000 people. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Now, we've been fairly lucky last year, uh, I should say the season uh, 2018 to 2019, there were 34,000 deaths. Now, we're still calculating, believe it or not, 2019, 2020. And the CDC actually was um, estimating it was going to be between 24 and 62,000. Well, as of a few months ago, we had gone over 30,000 deaths due to this flu virus in this past season. It's, uh, the other thing that's very important to talk about with the flu right now is that the flu has a death rate of about 0.1%. It's about 0.1%. COVID-19 is 10 times worse than that. So why is it important to get the flu? Well, we just talked about some pretty uh, amazing numbers. And with vaccine, flu still has a very high death rate. We want to protect people as much as we can. So the more people that are vaccinated, the more likely we're going to have a light or low uh, infectivity rate throughout the entire year. And the better we are with that, the less people are going to get hurt by the flu virus.
All right, get your flu shot. You know, we're there's another phrase going around talking about the worried well, you know, that we, we don't have any symptoms, but you know, I still go around smelling a candle every once in a while to make sure I still have my sense of smell. How do you tell if you have the flu or if you have COVID? Hopefully, nope, we don't get either one of those. But if you're trying to figure that out, you're worried about it, you know, what's the what's the gauge on that? Yeah, this is uh, this is a very common question, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate an opportunity to talk about it. And unfortunately, the answer to this is not going to be very very uh, satisfying because uh -oh. these are both very these are both uh, upper respiratory tract infections, and both of them come from viruses that attack different ways, but they still attack uh, your pulmonary system. So when you look at things like fever. It's common to have fever in COVID-19. It's also common to have fever in the flu. Some people develop a cough. It's actually fairly common in COVID-19 and in the flu. Shortness of breath, however, uh, is really not common, believe it or not, in the flu. You can get a little bit short of breath, but it's not like the COVID infection. The infection with SARS-CoV-2 generally will cause some shortness of breath as it's starting to get worse. Headaches, we talk about with the flu. As a matter of fact, that's one of the distinguishing features in flu. People develop what yeah. they believe is common cold symptoms, but then they get this massive headache and it feels like they've been run over by a bus. We usually think flu with that. Sometimes you'll get a headache with COVID-19 and with the reports that I've seen with most people, it's not the same kind of headache that you would get with the flu. I will tell you that most of the symptoms do overlap, and there are a few that don't. Uh, sometimes you'll end up with diarrhea with the flu, but you don't get that with COVID-19. And the one that you just mentioned is the one that we have to pay attention to. Some people lose taste and smell. Very, very rare in the flu. Generally, if that were to happen, we would immediately think, COVID-19 testing, make sure you're isolated, make sure you're quarantined, make sure you're not, you're wearing a mask and you're not contacting others until we have a definitive diagnosis. Subtle differences, but things to watch for. Well, let me, let's talk about this. Over the years, you know, it's been tolerated in some cases, even expected by, you know, bosses that you show up at the office for work, even if you have a cold or flu symptoms. Um, and I'm guessing that you might be against that this year. Or, or maybe forever. Well, I am against that uh, <laughs> and uh, forever forward and always have been in the past. If you're sick, you should stay home. Um, those of us that treat these diseases, those of us that pay attention to these viruses, we stay home. If you're sick, you don't want to get other people sick. What's interesting here is that there has been a certain amount of acceptance of I have the sniffles and colds, or I may have the flu, and I'm going to go into work. And partially, I believe that's because we have a vaccine. And some people say, oh, I got the vaccine, so I'm probably not going to be as infectious. Not necessarily true. If you are sick, you can still spread the virus. Yes, to answer your question, stay home. If you're sick this year, stay home. If you're sick next year, stay home. If you're sick 10 years from now, stay home. It is the best, uh, it's the best opportunity for you to impact the spread of the disease. All right, got that, got it. 
Um, well, of course, we're talking about vaccines for COVID. We've been talking about this since the pandemic began, but it now finally seems like we actually are getting closer to having one. Um, first, with this, is it safe just to say, don't count on it being a magic bullet that you get a shot and we're all going back to our lives the way they used to be? Yeah, uh, I think that was a great summary. It is not going to be a magic bullet. Uh, but what I can tell you is it is going to be uh, miraculous in what it does for the spread and for the number of people that are dying right now. Um, there are a number of different virus, uh, excuse me, vaccines that are out there. As a matter of fact, uh, there are 150 that are in the hopper right now. There are only a few that have made it to phase three trials. So let's talk a little bit about this. The phase one trials are the initial trials that are usually done to essentially check for safety. Phase two is widening of the testing pool. It makes it a little bit bigger so that you can actually include groups that may have the disease and, are, and who are likely to catch it. And this way you can gauge the effectiveness of the vaccine. Phase three expands the number of people that are getting the test. Uh, to thousands. As a matter of fact, the phase three trials of the vaccines that are being looked at right now for COVID-19 have uh, the smallest is about 30,000 people. So imagine 30,000 or 60,000 people per vaccine trial that are going through all of this. You really have to do a lot of recruiting to get them in, uh, to get enough numbers to really prove that the vaccines are working. Now, right now, there are a bunch of viable candidates. One that is out there um, from Johnson & Johnson, this one's using an adenovector, uh, which actually introduces a piece of DNA from the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus into a common cold that's been genetically engineered to not make you sick. Essentially, what this does is it allows you to ramp up your immune system and fight the virus. And it actually has been showing um, some pretty good results. It's elicited neutralizing antibodies in monkeys uh, with complete or near complete protection with just one dose. So they're moved into, they've moved into phase three trials and they're planning on pulling uh, almost 60,000 adults into this. The other one that we've been hearing about is from Moderna. Moderna is actually in collaboration with our National Institute for Health. And that one is relying on injecting small little pieces or snippets of the virus's genetic code, essentially the RNA from the virus into human cells. And what that does is it creates viral proteins that mimic the coronavirus in our bodies, and that ramps up our immune system. So these uh, are from a technology that's brand new. It's just it's been developed. Yeah, it's uh, amazing science. And uh, these are the ones that we've been watching. And it looks like it's going to need two doses to ramp it up. But once they've started their phase three trials, they actually have some very good uh, preliminary results from phases one and two. And their phase three is suggesting it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty effective and pretty safe. Well, uh, they've good. already contracted with the United States to produce um, millions of doses so that we can vaccinate once we have the go-ahead and once we have the safety data. Do you, is there a sense of how this is going to roll out at this point? We're, we're getting close to where we should. I mean, if, even if it is the end of the year, which we is- We are getting close. 
Yeah, and, and it is. Uh, I do believe we're going to begin to see the rollout through emergency use authorization from some of these vaccines. We didn't talk about a couple more that are out there that have contracted with the United States to roll out. Um, as a matter of fact, the one by Pfizer and BioNTech, uh, they've already contracted to roll out a vaccine to us, about 100 million doses by December 2020. Um, so this one also uses a, an RNA vector, um, and it is going to part of that new technology and also has some very good uh, preliminary results and phase three uh, results. But we do have to pay attention to it. Uh, as these come out, they have to be very safe before they'll start getting rolled out. Those emergency use authorizations are going to be um, granted to individual companies that produce a vaccine based on their findings and their safety data. And what I believe is going to happen is those initial, uh, the initial rollout is going to go to um, vulnerable populations and healthcare workers uh, over a phased, uh, a phased distribution model. Um, here in Missouri and Kansas, we are going to see the distribution of these vaccines roll out based on uh, vulnerable populations, healthcare workers, first responders, and then ultimately into the general public. All right. Uh, so that'll probably take about nine months or so to get all of that moving through the system. Okay. Well, now um, you, obviously you run a, a medical school on two campuses in the state of Missouri and you were part of the health sciences university. Are, are you, your faculty, the students seeing yourself or be, would you be willing to help out with the distribution of this vaccine? Yeah, absolutely, and we've we've actually volunteered uh, to do that with uh, with the state. And so, one of the things that we'll be participating with is the planning of how this is going to roll out across the state. Missouri has a um, fairly unique. Uh, many states have this, but it's a unique situation where we have seven medical school campuses across the entire state from various universities. So medical schools typically take care of a lot of the populations that are, that are having difficult times engaging with the healthcare system in the United States. Those populations which can't access usual care, medical schools oftentimes take care of them. And so we will have an advantage engaging in those populations that might be difficult to connect with. And so working with the state, we're going to be part of that solution for them. Now, I don't know exactly what our role will be. We're developing that right now. And certainly we're going to take our lead from the government within Missouri. And we're offering our services in Kansas as well. But as that rolls out, I see our medical students being part of that solution. And I would recommend that other states do this as well, because Medical students are learning in the middle of this pandemic, and they are part of the solution. They are not part of the problem. That's great to know. Well, and that's going to be probably a whole other podcast when, when we figure all this out, how you know it's going to lay out. So absolutely, this has been great information. Dr. D'Agostino, thank you so much. And I would like to add that you also appear on Fox 4 News in Kansas City on Tuesday and Thursday mornings live at 8.15 Central Time to answer questions about COVID from their viewers. And uh, we urge our listeners here to check it out on television or streaming. Thank you, Elizabeth.
It's great to be here. And everybody, I hope you stay healthy and looking forward to chatting with you in the future. Staying Well-Informed is a KCUcast original from Kansas City University. Learn more at kansascity.edu.